You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. And I am sitting here with Andrea Jones. She is a registered nurse, a functional hormone coach, a life and health coach, as well as mother to two girls, one who has special needs. She is passionate about whole person wellness, nutrition, and healthy women's hormones, which we're going to talk all about today. After leaving her Cush hospital nursing job, she started her own business, helping women with hormone imbalances experience painless mood-free periods so that they could feel like themselves again. Her Instagram is at abundant wellness with Andrea. And I wanted to make sure and throw that out there because that's how I got connected with Andrea. So Andrea, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, we were just trying to figure out how we actually connected with each other, but <laughs> um, but I love your content and I love what you share. Everything you post, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think the same way. And it's just mm-hmm. nice to be able to collaborate with other people and say, look, look at what she's doing. It's amazing, you know, and just, you know, have the referrals and all of that good stuff. So I'm super yeah. happy to be here with well, you. Well, and, and there are not many of us out there. I mean, it's growing, but um, mm-hmm. this whole holistic approach to health and a functional yeah. approach to health is, is we're a little bit of rebels, you know, we're mm-hmm. kind we're kind of rebellious in the way that we approach things. Yep. That's a good word for it. Rebellious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Okay. So let's just basic breakdown. How do, you know, this is specifically about female hormones. We're complicated. Um, there are a lot, we hear a lot of different things about what we need to do to support our hormones, but just a quick basic breakdown. How do our hormones impact our mental health and well-being? Man, this is such a good one. I feel like this needs to be like a five episode right? <laughs> for this. <laughs> But I will summarize it with, there's no way to separate our hormones from our mental health, just like there's no way to separate our diet or our lifestyle from our mental health. Um, Because food does impact our neurology and it impacts our neurotransmitters and it impacts inflammation and all of these different processes that happen, which I know that you talk a lot about. And I, that's one of the reasons I think I found you was like, oh my gosh, I Mm -hmm. so resonate with what she's saying here. Um, So when we understand that, that there's no way we don't exist in a vacuum or a vortex. And I think a lot of times, um, conventional medicine, and this is me speaking as a nurse that worked in conventional medicine in the hospital for almost 15 years. So I was very much immersed in that lifestyle. Um, but it is kind of treated that way. Like, well, we'll give you an antibiotic and hope that kills the infection, but we're not thinking, why does this person keep getting infections? Why does this woman keep having heavy periods? Why does she have endometriosis? Like they're not asking the more critical questions of why does this keep happening in spite of what we're doing? And those are the questions we should be asking. So when we understand that we don't exist in a vortex, we're not, it's impossible for us not to be influenced by our environment, by our food. Um, then we can understand that everything that impacts our hormones will impact our mental health. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is specifically, let's just talk about progesterone for, for instance here, because this is the one that women 
identify with the easiest is, oh, I have low, low progesterone or something that's easily Googleable, meaning like I'm, you know, having spotty periods or irregular periods. Um, my hair is falling out. I have a super low mood before my period, more than likely Google's going to tell you that you have low progesterone. Well, um, that may or may not be true depending on, you know, labs and different symptoms, but when it comes to mental health, progesterone is like our calm balance neuro. It's a hormone that makes us feel calm and balanced. It's why women tend to feel so good during mm-hmm. pregnancy. Like I felt mm-hmm. my best. I had energy. I wasn't moody all the time. We can thank progesterone for that. Okay. And, um, and so when that dips before our cycle, about seven to 10 days before our period, if your progesterone is already really low, this is where women start to experience an insomnia because their progesterone was too low to begin with. And now it's just dipped below that baseline and your neurotransmitters are not getting the information from the progesterone that they need to stay calm and balanced and, and you feel like yourself. And there's a very clear switch for women who feel that way that they can identify about seven to 10 days before my period. I don't feel like myself. Yep. And I don't know if you can identify with that. You probably heard your client say that, Mm -hmm. um, that was me a hundred percent. Like I am a different person seven to 10 days before my period. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me that wasn't normal. So I just figured like, this is just part of being a woman. This is just part of having periods, you know, and it didn't really matter so much until I had kids. And then like, I realized how my mood was impacting how I show up as a mom. And to me, that was like a non-negotiable, like, it's fine if I snap at my husband a little bit, but like not my kid. I mean, it's not fine, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, um, that it has a different weight and a different impact. And so just understanding progesterone on its own, has a huge impact on our neurotransmitters. And so addressing the root cause of that dysfunction um, can be tremendous for women and have a huge impact um, on their mental health. That is such a good example. I'm, I'm glad you brought up progesterone because I think that that is one. I didn't know what progesterone was until I started digging into my own health. And I realized that I always, you know, my history is depression, PTSD, bipolar disorder. And yeah. I always in my pregnancies felt amazing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that there was a hormonal switch that happened. And I also struggled with uh, hormonal imbalances with my periods too. And so Mm -hmm. I think it does a lot of, it does connect back to progesterone, but typically what, if somebody's going to go to say the doctor, like I'm struggling with these mood issues before my period, really extreme PMS, whatever they would just say, well, maybe we can put you on birth control. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. What do you, what would you say to that? Is that the best option? What would I say to that? I, we were talking about this beforehand. How blunt can I be? Um, <laughs> um, I would say that is not the best option. No, for a couple reasons. So one, if you have a family history of mental illness, uh, mental health issues, you have to understand that your likelihood, the propensity that you have towards having a negative response to something like birth control is going to be higher than somebody who doesn't have that in their family history. Um, Primarily because of how birth control impacts your liver and your neurotransmitters. Now, you don't have to do an extensive PubMed search to be able to find the negative long-term impacts of birth control. 
Like you can Google that and there will be dozens and dozens and dozens of studies. Now your doctor's probably not going to tell you that. I'm not here to judge why that happens. Um, but I will say that that you have to be aware of the potential long-term consequences of going on that and learn how to ask better questions. So for me, it, I had to learn how to, how to advocate for myself and say, okay, well, what does this mean? And what, you know, are the potential outcomes if I do do this? And so let's say I turn into a crazy rage monster on birth control, which is what happened to me that one week before my period did not work with my psychology at all. Um, I need to know that there's a different option. And so can you tell me what our plan B would be if that doesn't work? Um, something as simple as just asking that kind of question can be helpful. Um, but really you have to understand that those long-term impacts on your liver will impact your ability to make neurotransmitters, um, afterwards, which is why sometimes women will go on birth control. They'll decide to go off of it and then get pregnant. And then they are, then they're trying to figure out why they're having postpartum issues, why they're having oh, postpartum wow. anxiety, mm. why they're having postpartum depression, why their OCD has flared up out of nowhere. Um, why they're, you know, the issues that they had in high school, like, uh, like you said, bipolar or, um, you know, anywhere along that spectrum, um, because birth control will mess with your neurotransmitters and it will deplete specifically zinc and copper, and it will create an imbalance in your zinc and copper, which, um, makes you basically depletes your B vitamins, which then means you can't actually make neurotransmitters like serotonin. So there's this whole cycle that goes into that. That is so much more than just regulating your periods and your mood before your cycle. Yeah, that's, that's important. Now, what are, what can somebody do if they don't want to do birth control? What's another option? Yeah. So if we're talking about, um, I was actually just talking to a client about this the other day, if we're talking about pregnancy prevention, there's a lot of different options, um, that women can do. And it really does. Um, I think it, it's a very personal decision, but making sure you really take the time to talk with your partner about those various options. It could be, you know, a copper IUD tends to be, um, the less hormonally influencing, um, the least impactful long-term, meaning when you take it out, it tends to not have any long-term effects from being in your body. Um, granted there's a risk with any procedure condoms. There's a whole bunch of different options that, that are out there available to you, but it is going to require a conversation with your partner, you know, about what does this look like for our family? Cause it's going to be a commitment for both of you. If you, you know, if you go a different route. Um, and so for me and my husband, we just had to have those conversations of look for my mental health. I can't do that again, like birth control, not an option. <laughs> so we're going to have to talk about some different options here. Um, if we're talking about just like regulating, balancing your hormones, then what we look at, at least in my practice, um, we look at the three main contributing factors to women's hormones. So obviously their health history, their medical history, family history is really important. Um, but we are also looking at symptom grouping, meaning uh, we're looking at, you know, how many symptoms does this client have of liver dysfunction? Because if we don't have that operating and working in place, it's not going to matter how much effort you put into healing your gut. Um, because you can be, you know, this is like the big hype topic, right? Is healing the gut brain connection. Everybody kind of knows about it now. 
And that's awesome. And it's a huge piece. And it's why we spend so much time talking about it. But if you only work on that and you don't work on healing the, your liver detox pathways, its ability to metabolize estrogen and toxins, you're only getting a partial healing. And so we're looking at, you know, how's your liver dysfunction? Is there, you know, are there signs of gut brain disconnection? What's contributing to those symptoms for you as an individual over maybe the mom of five kids who lives on a farm, like, and, you know, homeschools, like your situation is going to be unique. And, and so is hers. So we have to look at those, um, those outlying factors to see, and then we just address them systematically in a way that um, will actually heal the physiology. So I don't know if that answers the question. Absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the liver because yeah. we don't, we don't talk about it enough. Um, what does the liver do that impacts our hormones? Yeah, this is such a good question. I actually saw a pin the other day on Pinterest that said the liver's the real MVP of women's hormones. And I was like, this is the truth. Um, and that is because it, uh, there are three main pathways of liver detoxification. Um, some of those are heavily influenced by our genetics, meaning, you know, if you know that you have the MTHFR mutation, if you're familiar with that, if you know that you have um, other SNPs that are playing a role in that, that's where it's going to impact the most heavily is your liver detox pathways, your, your built in detoxification system, thinking of, think of it as like, uh, most people buy a house with working toilets, right? It would be like you buying a house with an outhouse instead of plumbing. <laughs> so some of us have the plumbing and other, others of us don't have the plumbing. And so we need to look at how, how able is the liver to not only detoxify toxins that are coming into our environment, those environmental toxins that will heavily disrupt our hormones, um, but is it able to metabolize estrogen? Because typically if somebody is diagnosed with low progesterone, it's typically not the progesterone. That's the problem. It's the estrogen and the liver's ability to metabolize it. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So it plays a huge role in not only our hormones, but our mental health, because then how is that impacting our progesterone to serotonin conversion? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So it is like the number one thing that we look at. And if, if somebody's ever been on pharmaceutical grew up on ibuprofen, right? Because it was the only thing that would help our cramps, um, or naproxen sodium. I know for me, which didn't even touch it at one point because my, you know, my periods were so heavy. Um, but then you add birth control onto that or Accutane, which is highly disruptive. Like, don't even get me started on Accutane. Mm, me neither. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, yeah, there's a whole lot I could say about that. Um, now it's not on the market, which thankfully it's not, but um, for those of us who were in high school in the early 2000s, that was like the thing to do for your mm -hmm. skin. So, um, so the liver, if your physician, if your practitioner is not paying attention to what's going on in your liver and they're just throwing supplements at you, um, it needs to be looked at. It, it's the number one thing that we look at. Yeah. 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 It's in, estrogen dominance is a, a kind of a, a buzz phrase right now in the yep. holistic health world. Um, mm -hmm. I think even in, in mainstream conventional medicine as well, we're hearing a yeah. lot about it because I think it doesn't just affect, and we're not talking about men, but it does affect men. It doesn't just affect mm -hmm. women. I think that's important right. to note, um, because of our environmental toxins that are creating yep. just like this 
pro-estrogenic environment for everybody. Um, what would that, what does that look like for somebody? How does that show up in our cycle? How does that show up in our bodies? Yeah. So that's such a good question. So, um, so how this looks in our environment. So typically what we will see is early, uh, puberty. So precocious puberty, where we're seeing really early breast development. Um, we're seeing early, uh, early signs of like moodiness. So that like, this would be for me, what I would consider early, um, is anytime before like 11 or 12 years old, we really should not be seeing precocious puberty signs before that, like 11 wow. year mark. So, and, and it's becoming more and more normal where doctors are kind of normalizing precocious puberty, but it's not, it's not normal. Um, it may be common, but it's not normal. So, um, early breast development, early, um, like axillary hair. So, uh, pubic hair, armpit hair, um, uh, let's see here, cramping for sure. So cramps, heavy periods, breast tenderness before your cycle, um, clotting, during your cycle. So a lot of times women will be like, Oh, I've always had clots, you know, during my cycle, one or two, like, you know, pee or dime size clots, not a big deal. Um, anything more than that. And we're looking at, you know, like, what is your body trying to get rid of? Cause like, it shouldn't mm-hmm. have to be dumping that much, um, through your cycle, your liver should really be detoxifying a lot of that stuff and getting it out before your period through your bowels, preferably. So, yeah. Um, so those are things that we look at, um, some women that manifest more as like, uh, menstrual migraines, um, sometimes we'll see it kind of show itself as insomnia. So you really do have to look at like how the symptoms are grouped together. Um, but those are some things that we would look at that would say, Hmm, we need to be looking at what's going on with her estrogen here. Yeah, that's interesting. I recently read, um, that even things like cystic breasts and fibroids are, could be symptoms of estrogen dominance. Um, and I know that affects so many people. Um, you know, a a lot of it is things we're told, Oh, it's just genetic. It's Mm -hmm. just, my mom had it. My grandma had it. It's just genetic. True. Yeah. We have a lot of lifestyle factors that are really triggering or turning on, turning off gene expression in ways Mm -hmm. that could be making things a lot worse for us. Absolutely. Yep. And that's one of my, I love that you nailed that because it's not that the symptoms are genetic. It's that the liver dysfunction or whatever else is going on in your body could have a deficit because of lifestyle things. It could be, like you said, epigenetically turned on by something that, um, whether it be, you know, the environment or what have you that is actually causing those symptoms. So yes, fibrocystic breasts would go, um, in that as well. Um, endometriosis would be like the end of the spectrum for, um, estrogen dominance. So there are some other things that we look at with endo, but, um, but if you Mm -hmm. look at estrogen dominance being a spectrum, what we see kind of at the end of that spectrum is, um, endometriosis and then reproductive cancers. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about endometriosis real fast, just because yeah. I think that it is something a lot of women struggle with mm-hmm. and the typical recommendation, just like with birth control is, well, maybe it's time for a hysterectomy. So what are your thoughts there? Oh man, I have so many. Um, it makes me really sad. I actually end up working with a lot of women post hysterectomy because they were told, you know, if you have a hysterectomy, all of your symptoms will go away. Um, but really what, what happens is then depending on if they leave the ovaries or not, which depends on the extent of the endometriosis or the tissue growth, 
um, you're basically put into surgical menopause, which means instead of this slow progression into menopause, it's instant, like often within a week or two from having the surgery. So yes, you may not have a uterus that is painful now, but now you're having hot flashes and insomnia and fatigue, um, because of how, you know, that procedure even just impacts your adrenal glands. So, um, so what I would say to that is if, you know, it's, in any situation like this with the diagnosis, you know, of PCOS or endometriosis, or even just PMS, PMDD, doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum, learn to advocate for yourself by asking really good questions. Um, so those can be like, well, what is, what is endometriosis? What does this mean? What is this symptom? Why is this happening in my body? Um, and see, you know, the, the physician's response is going to really tell you whether or not that's the kind of person you want to be working with and whether or not that treatment actually is what you want to step into. So there are times where the endometriosis involvement is, um, so severe that they do like we, an ablation needs to be done or, you know, something more minimally invasive. Um, but the goal should always be that at the same time, we're addressing the reasons why it grew in the first place, um, so that it doesn't grow back on other organs, because believe it or not, just because you take out your uterus doesn't mean that you can't develop adenomyosis later. Like there's other, like your body's not going to stop producing the tissue. If the mechanism for the growth isn't dealt with, does that make Mm, sense? Absolutely. Cause our body's always trying to find that balance. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So ask those questions, learn how to advocate for yourself, um, and recognize that there is a totally different way of dealing with things. So we actually had a lady, um, just recently, she's actually the fourth in the last year that came in with secondary infertility and endometriosis that is pregnant, completely cleared of her endometriosis, had no plans of getting pregnant because they were impossible. And she like just finished, you know, her 12 week protocol basically. And was like, well, I guess my nausea wasn't COVID. (laughs) I guess I'm pregnant. So totally just shocked all of us. Right. But that's what happens when you address all, you know, all the mechanisms for why something's not working in the body and just allow it to heal. It does, you know, it does wonderfully with that. So that is incredible because I think there's, there's a sort of hopelessness when we believe that our bodies are broken, you know, and we're told, well, it's broken, remove it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, remove the organ, remove the, you know, and it, it feels really defeating and it's totally, I mean, that affects our mental health in a lot of different ways. Right. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things that we have to work on, you know, with, with, at least for me with clients is as we're working through this physical healing process, we also have to address what beliefs do I have about my healing? Because when you've had door after door after door slammed in your face and you've had physicians that don't help you and, you know, they're telling you your labs are just normal or, Oh, we just need to run labs again and everything looks good. So there's nothing Mm -hmm. we can do for you. There's no way that you can't be impacted by that. Like there's no way that that's not going to make you feel defeated no matter how tenacious you are. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that in this coaching process with women that we're addressing, okay, but there's still healing for you. So is there a belief here 
based on your experience, that's actually not allowing you to step into that healing because we know that it's possible, but do you know that it's possible? Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately um, what determines a whole lot of the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, there's, it's so good. Everything that you're sharing. Um, so let's talk briefly about, um, migraines. Cause I know that that is something uh, for me personally, I actually had horrible migraines while I was on birth control. Um, uh-huh. and, and it got better when I got off. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I know for many women, um, it's like right at the end of that luteal phase, mm-hmm. into that menstrual, maybe the first day or two of the period, the flow, Yep. they're hit with a migraine. So what's that about? What's going on there? Yeah, this is a really good question. And I actually never had migraines until I uh, was also on birth control. And then it would only be for that, you know, I was on like a triphasic birth control. And so it was only for that week right before my period. And then when I went off birth control, I never had it again. Um, I used to joke that like a new symptom every week, because, you know, when you're on birth control, it's all of these different hormones that your body just doesn't need, you know, doesn't need to be happening. So for migraines, what we typically see, um, again, is that estrogen dominance. So how specifically the estrogen is impacting the blood vessels in the brain. And, um, it's really fascinating because I was doing a lot of research on this. Like, why do some women have pain, like neuro, you know, uh, neurologic pain and other women have cramps. Like it's just such Mm -hmm. an interesting way that the body manifests Mm -hmm. illness. Right. Um, and what they found in the research was actually how the estrogen impacts the serotonin and pain receptors around the blood vessels in the brain. So, and specifically how estrogen can cause dilation of the blood vessels that irritates the nerves that are wrapped around the blood vessels that will cause migraines in women. So I was like, this is so fascinating, right? So when we deal again, the issue is still the estrogen though. The issue is still that for that person, there's too much estrogen floating around and it's causing dysfunction with the serotonin and the nerves wrapped around the brain. So um, we still have to work on clearing the estrogen through the liver. And then for that person, it no longer manifests as migraines. So this is why having, you know, an individualized approach where we are, you know, we're for you, we're tracking migraines and we want to see that, you know, go down consistently over that 12 week period of time. Um, that's letting us know we're on the right track for you. Um, whereas for somebody else, we might be looking at insomnia and mood swings or, you know, how those symptoms manifest for them. Yeah. So it goes, it goes back to the liver, not clearing what it needs to clear. And I think it's important to note too, right. That if somebody's constipated mm-hmm. and that, I know that's true for a lot of women, 100%. um, all that estrogen hangs out even longer, <laughs> causes yep. more symptoms. So sometimes you got, you got to deal with that constipation and the liver clearance, right. Yep. And then, and then do you find ways to bring progesterone? Do you focus mainly on detoxifying the estrogen or do you try to find ways to build up the progesterone naturally too? Yeah. So we do both. So, um, we kind of work in phases though. So Mm -hmm. the first phase is detox. So getting the liver to do Mm -hmm. what it's supposed to be doing, you know, through, through nutrition and, um, targeted nutrition. So instead of just like focusing on what not to eat, you know, like (laughs) avoid alcohol and chocolate, like everybody's going to have that at some point. So (laughs) focus on how to build up your liver's ability to process estrogen, um, through targeted nutrients. And then we work on healing the gut brain connection, um, which really, if you have not addressed 
the reasons why that gut dysfunction is there, you shouldn't be adding like estrogen or progesterone support because it's not going to have the foundation to build from. So once that estrogen starts to slowly kind of lower itself down, now the progest now whatever you do to support your progesterone can work because mm-hmm. estrogen and progesterone are seesaw hormones. Yep. So if your estrogen is chronically high, it doesn't matter how much you supplement with a progesterone tincture or cream or pill. Um, it's, it's going to be constantly hitting like a glass ceiling for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Mm-hmm. So addressing, um, progesterone is typically phase three, where once we've addressed the gut brain connection and the liver issues, now we can work on rebuilding your stores of progesterone. I, I use the analogy of like a bucket, like we're filling up your progesterone bucket so that yeah. during that time of the month, you actually have something to pull from. Um, so that's how we, that's how I do it in my practice is you know, based on their symptoms, but working through those three basic principles that, um, allow for, allow for you to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is, it's all a balancing act, right? <laughs> 100%. And do yeah. you find, I mean, I know this to be true currently in my experience, and I don't know, be interested to know what you're seeing. I have noticed more women suffering from menstrual irregularities now than ever before? Is it Mm -hmm. our stressful lifestyles? Is it the toxins? Is it what, what is going on? And young girls, not just women, but young girls too. Yes. I think it's a combination of all of the above. Um, I also think part of it too, is that we're talking about it now. Whereas like, we, I mean, at least I mean, maybe I would have heard my mom's friend kind of talk about it a little bit like, oh, she's so moody today, you know, like on her phone with her best friend or something, but it's not like we didn't have social media, right? We didn't have Mm. people talking about it. And so now I have people commenting on posts, like, would this help my daughter too? You know, she's struggling, she's 12 or 13. Um, So I, I do wonder if there's part of that kind of more of an awareness about it too. Um, But I absolutely think that there's a couple of things happening here. So we have epigenetics, right? Which is that, um, issues in our family that are not dealt with will continue to accumulate with each generation until we deal with them. Right. Um, now hopefully we're correcting them so that our children then don't inherit our toxic, you know, our toxic load and our genetic issues. Um, so I do think that's part of it is that we're hitting this generation now of very, uh, unwell, children because of the things that have not been dealt with so far. You Mm -hmm. have that. And then you have the toxins in our environment that are coming in through our food, our water, our air. Um, And so when you have this kind of dysfunctional physiology that's been passed down to you from your family, and then you have this additional heavy burden, like that's coming in through our environment, it's kind of the perfect storm. Hmm. And so I do think that's why, um, why we are seeing these issues creep up younger and younger, um, why we're seeing a lot more behavioral issues than we ever have before. Hmm. Um, I think that that plays a role in all of it for sure. And I think something else that's interesting that I haven't thought about till just now is, I think we're also our generation, um, the moms today (laughs) are realizing the things that we were told when we were young, like I was told, Oh, you have a heavy flow, get on birth control. Well, 
And then I was on antidepressant a year later because of course I, my serotonin B vitamins, all that was tanked, probably the copper issue you were talking about, Totally, but it didn't work out. And so we have this newer generation of moms that are going, well, I tried all of those things and I'm actually not better. (laughs) It never regulated my cycle. It didn't lead to long-term health. So I'm asking questions. What can I do for my daughter, for my kids? Absolutely. No. And I think that's a hundred percent right on because we're seeing that that way didn't didn't actually protect us from anything and actually may have, you know, caused issues in our bodies, you know? And so it's like, gosh, if I can prevent my own kid from having that issue, then yeah, we're going to do it, you know? Um, and we, I think just in general moms, we advocate differently for our children than we do for ourselves just inherently. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so some of it is that like, huh, if I wouldn't accept that for them, why am I accepting it for myself? kind of mixed in there too. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that was still a new, I mean, I think about my mom didn't have birth control to regulate her cycle, birth control pill to regulate her cycle. Birth control pill was still pretty new for her generation. It was really used for, you know, um, pregnancy prevention, but then, so my generation, it's like, well, let's do this to fix all the problems. (laughs) And then now my, I have a daughter who's a teenager and it's like, well, gosh, what could we do naturally (laughs) to help support your body where it's, where it most needs it, you know? And so it's like, there's these ebbs and flows and you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And there's no shame in that. Like, I remember, you know, I had my daughter, um, well, she's 11 now. And I remember like talking to my mom about things and she was like, what? I've never heard of that before. Like red dye is not bad for you. You know, and like you guys lived on red day and you're fine. And I'm like, well, but are we though? <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think fine means what you yeah. think it means, but okay. <laughs> um, or like maybe don't cook the potatoes in canola oil, you know? And, but that's, it's just a totally a generational thing that they learned and that that's what they know. You give antibiotics for everything. You, you take a pill for everything. And so some of it, I do think is undoing that generational belief system, um, and realizing that it's not offensive. I think that's the other thing too. Like it's not offensive. You know how we talked about we're rebellious because we've kind of (laughs) stepped away from the system. It's not because we want to be offensive. It's because we just want to help people in a way that we're not seeing them be helped. And, and that should be how science works, right? We, we observe that something is or is not working and we make adjustments accordingly. So anyways, that was my long-winded. No, it's great. You know, I would love to ask you though, because I, a lot of times I asked this in the beginning and I totally didn't, but I'd I'd love to know, how did you get to doing what you're doing now? Um, What need did you see that, and what gap did you see needing to be filled in the world of hormones and women's health? Yeah. So really good question. So I, um, I mean, I think really it was birthed out of my own horrible experience with the medical system, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and realizing as a nurse, like, gosh, I'm trained to give holistic care to patients in the hospital, but that's not what I'm receiving and like going to the doctor and, you know, having hormone issues and anxiety attacks and losing my, you know, my milk supply and dropping Mm -hmm. 10 pounds in a week and them not being concerned at all. And me saying there's something wrong in my body. Like there's some, this is not anxiety. Like there's something physiologic happening and realizing that, you know, they were very resistant to do anything outside of just prescribe me a pill. 
And um, I knew that that was at that time was not what my body needed. And so that was 11 years ago, Um, still working in the hospital at that time, Um, but really just um, desiring to do something different. And so I, you know, worked with a practitioner who was a brilliant man. Um, I don't actually know if he's still practicing in the Portland area, but um, took one look at me, looked at, you know, my labs, my charts, everything. And was like, this is what's wrong with you. There's, you know, these three things that need to be addressed in you that, um, if we don't fix them, you're never going to get better. Mm-hmm. And so of course he gave me a, like, literally, I'm not even joking, a 21 page packet of things I had to change before my next appointment. So I don't do that in my practice. <laughs> Wow. It was a little bit overwhelming for somebody who was not sleeping at the time and had a, had an infant and mm. having to change my diet overnight. Um, but really that's what started opening my eyes to this whole other world of medicine that I didn't know about. Like nobody talked about it in nursing school, you know, and sometimes they even made fun all, you know, and now I'm that hippie mom who uses oil. So, um, you know, it's, just go figure. So, um, it wasn't until people started coming to me, what did you do? Like, how did you fix your hormones? Why aren't you having these issues anymore that I decided it was time to invest in my own training and go outside of the box and find, you know, the most advanced, basically hormone training that was out there. And some of that was, you know, a lot of it was my own research, meaning diving into PubMed and NCBI and looking at research. What is the research telling us? Um, Putting together protocols that way, bringing it to a board of nutritionists, having them review it. Like there was a lot that went into that as I was, you know, just deciding like, okay, it's time for me to be done with the hospital, which was a whole other I mean, it took me a couple of years to get there really to where I was like, okay, I'm ready to say goodbye to that chapter. Mm. Um, as I loved what I did, I loved working with families. I loved taking care of patients, um, in that way, but it wasn't helping them the way that I wanted to, I wasn't utilizing everything that was out there available to people. Um, and so that's really what led to me, you know, creating the happy hormones program, which is our 12 week, um, coaching program, um, getting advanced certification in, in different forms of testing that we can use to Mm -hmm. help women and really focusing on what is the simplest, most basic thing that you can do today to start feeling better, um, get you moving in that, you know, in that right direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It, it's so interesting, isn't it? How so much of our, I, I, I say it for my own story too. What I do is because it came from my own pain totally. <laughs> and having to do yes. the digging because I wasn't getting answers the regular way. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I love hearing that aspect of your story because I think we all know intuitively, you know, when our bodies yeah. are not feeling right, right and we're being shot down again and again by the systems that are supposed to be the most supportive, we, right. we got to go on that journey. We got to go down that pub med rabbit hole, you know, yeah. because it is a rabbit hole. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah, yeah. There's <laughs> what you're saying. There is research behind what you do. And I think that's yes. important for people to hear too, that research goes beyond what your doctor tells you at the doctor's office. Exactly. You know, there's a lot more out there. Right. And I think for me, what kind of started cluing me in was realizing that my doctor was Googling when I was talking to him and I'm like, yeah, but I mean, Google's fine. Like I don't have anything really against Google, but at the same time, shouldn't, you know, like, 
So, Mm -hmm. and, and really feeling frustrated too. And I know almost every client that I work with says this, I'm frustrated that my insurance isn't covering what I actually Mm -hmm. need. I'm like, girl, I get it. But at some point you have to accept that sometimes the help that is out there for you is not going to fit inside the box. And that just has to be okay. And that doesn't, like you said, it doesn't mean it's not well-researched. It doesn't mean, you know, that there isn't credibility to it. It just means that maybe credibility doesn't mean what you think it means. Hmm. And that's okay too. So, Hmm. um, but yeah, it was a process. I mean, I'm sure just like yours where, you know, it's one step at a time before you realize you're fully outside that box and now you're in a completely (laughs) different box altogether. And, and it's like, no, I love my life now. I love what I get to do now. And now I understand why I never felt like I fit in, Mm. in that Mm. system. And I don't feel any shame about that anymore. I used to like, Mm -hmm. I'm not wired that way and it's okay. So Yeah, it's a journey for sure. And your pain informs your clinical decisions, which um, I think is really important for people to know that you understand them Yeah, um, and you can empathize in that way and in a different way. Yeah. People need to feel heard and valued and that what they're experiencing is real, not just in their head. Like you said, not just this anxiety, yeah. psychosomatic, whatever. Um, okay. So let's talk about your coaching programs. Yeah. I want to, um, so what do you do? What, what is it like? What, what's the process? Yeah. So that's a really good question. So, um, I have a couple different ways that I work with women. We have our monthly, um, basically our monthly coaching program, which is the hormone wellness Academy. Um, and this is just $47 a month. It's for everybody who wants to learn how to track their cycles and not just for the sake of planning your life around your cycle, but actually, um, we take a look at everything that you've tracked and help you identify, what's going on, what are your root causes, what's contributing to these symptoms so that you can get that one-on-one feedback to make changes. So super affordable. It's a great option for moms with young teens or like, you know, their daughters in their twenties. I mean, it's really for anybody that's menstruating basically. (laughs) Um, that is, you know, that's, um, super accessible. Some women end up staying, you know, for three months, some women have been in since the birth of the program, um, and plan on staying forever. So, um, so there's that. And then we also have our 12 week, which is what I would call like the full service program. So kind of like, you know, the all-inclusive resort you go, you have access to everything once you join that program. So this is where we work through the three phases of healing. So addressing the liver dysfunction, healing the gut brain connection, and then, uh, nourishing your hormones. So replenishing the stores of estrogen and progesterone. And what that looks like is we have sorry, excuse me, you have access to myself and our in-house nutritionists to, um, that are working with you every single day. So you have access to us daily, um, weekly group accountability calls, and then monthly consultations with me with the purpose being, you know, we're not just going to kick you out at 12 weeks. If you're showing up, you're doing your work, then we stay with you until you've met that goal, which is what we call the magical period. So (laughs) I I would have never said like, oh, I can't wait for a magical period, but that's kind of the joke in the group now is like, I had the magical period. Like I didn't even see it coming. Um, so that's what we do there. And I, I love, uh, for me, it's so much more than just helping women to get rid of their symptoms it's seeing them being able to play with their kids and not be exhausted. It's Mm. seeing them being able to go on vacation and not have to plan, you know, like, well, those three days I'm going to have to stay in the hotel because of my headaches and my heavy periods. Like 
they're getting their life back. So that's, that's what that transformation is all about. And then of course, you know, we do one-on-one consultations. If somebody's not sure where they want to, to plant their feet, um, or maybe they just want a one hour consultation to help kind of springboard them, but they're not ready for a program yet. Um, that's always an option as well. That's amazing. That, that all sounds incredible. And, and you're getting results. You're, you're seeing lives changed, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I I love that you mentioned the, um, you said four times this year, you've had somebody, um, with secondary infertility get Mm -hmm. themselves pregnant, right? We have a hundred percent success rate with infertility, which is not something I ever expected to say. I mean, honestly, because my, my, like when I set out to do this, partly because infertility is not a part of my story, I think, Mm. um, that for me was never the end goal. Like I never market like, Hey, we're here to help you get pregnant, you know, but that is the, the outcome for a lot of women when the underlying root cause is dysfunctional hormones. So when we address that, that is the natural byproduct for a lot of women is being able to, to conceive. So, um, so I love that they always keep up with me and send pictures of their babies. And I'm just like, yay, you did it. So that's incredible. I mean, that's, that is such such a life-changing transformation. I mean, that's, right. that's insane. Wow. Well, this, this is great. Okay. So I got to ask you my, my favorite question to ask, you know, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So yeah. if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Oh, oh gosh. That's such a hard question. Can I get back to you? Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think my question, my, my advice, my encouragement would be to not ignore the part of you that you've been ignoring. So the part of you that's been nudging you forward, that's been, Hey, pay attention to this, that little pain, that little irritation, that little frustration, um, that, you know, ended ended up putting you on sparking wholeness's page. Like that part of you don't ignore it, reach out and begin to ask questions about the thing that you're experiencing. Um, I know for me, I ignored my symptoms for way too long. Um, and it just took me that much longer to recover. And so I think as women, we have grown accustomed to just normalizing Mm. our pain and our discomfort. And really we need to be paying more attention to those things that aren't working quite right. So that would be my advice is listen to that little spark in you. That's crying out for some attention and, and reach out for help. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, it's because all those, those symptoms, even the unpleasant ones, it's our body asking for help. (laughs) Like, Hey, let me, let me get some support here. So yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. So where can people contact you, follow you, learn more about what you do, et cetera. Yeah. So I think, um, Instagram is great. Um, so that's just at abundant wellness with Andrea. Um, you can also shoot me an email. That's, it's a little bit redundant, but it's Andrea at abundant wellness with Um, that would probably be the easiest way to, you know, see what I do, um, see what's going on, you know, with clients, um, reach out to me personally, et cetera. Awesome. Well, this has been so informative and I probably could ask you a thousand more questions, but that's why listeners just need to go follow you and join your programs and and figure it out that way. (laughs) So thanks again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. 
Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.